podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Good boys and girls, two-footed podcast on Tuesday, February 22nd, brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider, a virtual privacy network, allows you to go online, change location and access things like American Netflix, BBC iPlayer, ITV Hub, whatever it is that you're geo-blocked from, you can get yourself access to with a Liberty Shield router. If you go to libertyshield.com, and use the code ROUTER50, you will get your router half price, $7.99. This half price, get using straight away with libertyshield.com. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. And finally, do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you can find on Etsy. Use the code EPL. 10 or red 10 to get 10% off at checkout. Right, folks, we have Champions League action tonight. But before we get into that, I wanted to take a look at some winners and losers from this past weekend's Premier League action. Now, not just teams that won a game and they're a winner or teams that lost a game and they're a loser, but teams whose results and the results of those around them had a major impact on what the rest of their season could be. So we'll start at the top of the table. Liverpool in second place. They're a big winner from this weekend. Obviously, they beat Norwich themselves. But more importantly, Tottenham Hotspur beat Manchester City. And what that does is it means Liverpool are only six points behind City with a game in hand and a trip to the Etihad still to come. Now, that game in hand, as we know, is against Leeds. That's tomorrow night. The game against City on April 9th is the big showdown. Obviously, both teams have games to navigate between now and then. I believe it's five games for City and six for Liverpool before then. And if Liverpool can keep the pressure on City, if they can beat Leeds, match City's results up until that game at the Etihad, then the title is anybody's. It comes down to that game to decide who is the likely champion. Because coming out the back of that, if Liverpool win, obviously City still have a big chance. City only need Liverpool to drop points once. If City win, the title's basically over. City would be six points clear with only six games left. And they would be unlikely to drop enough points for Liverpool to get back into the race. So Liverpool are the first big winner from this past weekend in the Premier League. I think Spurs are a big winner as well. That victory over City shows that Antonio Conte's tactical profile is being imprinted on this team. That we're seeing this team start to develop into the unit he wants them to be. And if you look at that performance and that team that lined up for Spurs you start to see more and more of the Conte fingerprints. Now, Ben Davies is not a tremendous centre-back by any nature. What he is, is a left-back in the back four who's a very solid player that you wouldn't mind having as a squad player. Like, Liverpool wouldn't mind having him as the backup to Robertson. United wouldn't mind having him as a backup to Luke Shaw. And with Spurs, you feel like next season, they'll be happy to have him as a guy that can be a backup at left wing back if needed. He's not great going forward, but he is a good passer. A backup left side centre back. And he gives them an option if they do want to spring to a back four in certain games rather than playing with the wing backs. 
Eric Dyer in that middle role, we all have our doubts about Eric Dyer, but he does read the game pretty well. He is quite composed most of the time, and he's a decent passer of the ball. One thing he's not is he's not overly aggressive, and that's what Conte wants in that role. Someone who's not overly aggressive. Someone who's not going to see ball, win ball. He wants someone who'll see ball and take a picture and read the game. Conte will want better than Dyer, which is why we see Stefan de Vries being mentioned frequently as a target for the summer. And then Christian Romero, who is that aggressive ball-winning type that he wants in his flanking centre-backs. He will probably look for a left-sided version of Romero. Someone maybe who's also a little bit more comfortable carrying the ball out of defence. We saw him do that last season with Bastoni. Carry the ball from defence into midfield, break the lines and start to give that extra man in midfield. So you're starting to see the profiles take shape. It'll just be a matter of upgrading on Dyer and Davies. Emerson Royale had a very good game, particularly defensively. Now, much of the criticism about him has been his lack of production in the final third, but he's a very young player. And I think people have been overly harsh on him. He's moved to a new country. He's gone into a very bad situation at Spurs to begin the season where the managerial search had been such a circus. They ended on a manager they didn't really want. They had the good start, then it fell apart. And then all of a sudden the pressure started to mount on the manager. That seeped into the players, a group of players who, remember, have been through this rigmarole before. A lot of these players were there for the end of Pochettino, then the end of Mourinho. They've seen what happens when a manager starts to run out of of time at a club. You know, like Dyer's been there through both, Davies through both, Sessegnon through both. Heusberg obviously came in under Mourinho. He saw that there. But he was also at Southampton and saw a lot of upheaval at Southampton over his time there. Son and Kane, they've been th- there through Pochettino and Mourinho. You also had Endombele and, and Lacelso who arrived into a bit of a chaotic situation towards that end of the Pochettino era. Then there was the Mourinho situation. You know, you look down the bench, Sanchez bought by Pochettino, Winks came through the academy, Roden came in under Pochettino, Mora came in under Pochettino. These guys have been through now three managers in a couple of years. It's less than four years, it's less than three years, I should say, since Spurs played in a Champions League final, and they're on their fourth permanent manager in that time. So there's been a lot of upheaval there. That's not a stable club, or it hasn't been a stable club. And that's the situation that Emerson walked into. And I think he was very harshly judged by some because he didn't immediately step in. But go back and watch him at Real Betis, and he was a quality player. And he's still very young. He's still got time. And I did think defensively he put in a really good shift at the weekend. I think he can be the long-term answer there. Now, in the short term, Conte might look for somebody else. Somebody with a bit more experience, somebody who's got a bit more attacking output. But don't write off Emerson as a Spurs player just yet. Sessegnon on the left is exactly the same. He's been written off a a number of times. But Conte has come out today and he's said, this is a guy who can be a top player. He has everything I'm looking for. They've got him and they've obviously got Regulon. So Regulon will be the starter when he's fit. But in Sessegnon, they have a very good alternative, which means they can rotate the two of them, keep them fresh, because a lot of emphasis goes on those wing-backs. And if Conte gets two good options on both sides, and if Emerson and Sessegnon are the backups, that's going to be a really good situation. Bentoncourt coming in next to Heusberg, I thought that partnership worked very, very well. I thought they did an excellent job of disrupting City, of shielding the defence, of moving the ball quickly through the lines, Bentinker's passing. Heusberg had some really good carries in the game. And I thought they kept City at bay. I thought the physicality of the pair of them was very difficult for City to deal with. And then up front, we know what we get with Kane. We know what we get with Son. 
And Kulisevsky, he showed at the weekend what he's all about. A goal, an assist, an assist for goal that was ruled out because he'd been offside. Hardworking, tracked back endlessly, pressed in midfield. We're starting to see the formation that Conte will want. And I think he will want that 3-4-2-1. With, the, with Kane as the focal point, pace behind him, pace out wide, a powerful pivot, and then his three different profiles in defence. And in particular, he'll want one who'll be a ball carrier. Spurs aren't as far away as some people are making out. And this was a big, big win for them, especially coming off three defeats in a row. It would have been very easy for them to go to City, lose and say, well, it's City. Of course we lost. They're the best team in the league. Of course we lost. But they went toe-to-toe with City. And 3-2 flattered City. It didn't flatter Spurs. Obviously, we've seen some people, largely City fans and City defenders, say, oh, well, Spurs just sat in and counterattacked. That's not true at all. That's not true at all. Their goals, not one of them came against a City team in an attacking phase. Go back and look at them. The first and second goals, City are in their set position, pressing out against Spurs who have the ball deep in their own third. And, and Spurs played through them. The third goal comes from a turnover, but City are in a medium block. They're not high advanced. This is not a goal that comes against a City team in transition defence. They're in a set defence. They're in set defences for all three goals. So to call it counter-attacking is very, very unfair to how Spurs played and how well they built from the back. The same with the disallowed goal. The only one you could say was a counter-attack would be the goal, the, the chance that Kane had that came from a turnover where he ended up kind of one-on-one but with defenders closing him and Ederson made the save. That came from a turnover, but even then, City had numbers back. Spurs attacked really well and cut City apart. It's a simple fact of it. And that win will give them huge confidence. That win also was really important because Wolves won, and Arsenal won, and Manchester United won. So just in terms of keeping pace with their competitors for a top four spot, that was hugely important. So they're my second big winner. My third big winner is Brentford. Now, I know they lost. I know they lost, and it's hard to look at them and think, well, they're a winner. But hear me out on this. The reason Brentford are a winner from this weekend's Premier League action, Newcastle drew, Everton lost, and Leeds lost. Crystal Palace, Aston Villa, and Leicester also lost. So the teams who were below them, who could have jumped them, were unable to. The teams that were above them that could have separated themselves were unable to. So for Brentford, despite the defeat, it's a holding pattern. And that's a win for them. Because we know their form has been catastrophically poor of late. We know they're really struggling to get results. But for them, their opponents losing, or their their rivals in that bottom third of the table losing is almost as important to them as them winning themselves. And they've got three huge games coming up now. Newcastle at home, Norwich away, Burnley at home. And as I've said before, I really think they need to be taking somewhere between five and seven points from these games. If they do that, they'll be absolutely fine. If they lose all three, then it's going to get very, very dicey for them. For example, if they lose to Newcastle, Newcastle will go above them. You've got Leeds this weekend playing Tottenham after Liverpool. So I don't think they need to worry about Leeds jumping them. Everton will play Manchester City. So I don't think they need to worry about them jumping them. But Newcastle going above them with the form and the momentum Newcastle have right now, that would be a concern. 
Because if you stack up the talent between Everton, Leeds and Brentford, Brentford come out third. Everton have the most talent of that group. They're the most talent in the bottom seven. But they also have a number of injuries and the worst manager. So if Everton were to get everybody back, despite the manager, you would expect them to start picking up a couple of points here and there. And if they'd gotten a result against Southampton at the weekend, and a win would have taken them above above um, Brentford as well, a Leeds draw against United would have taken them equal on points with Brentford. That would have been really bad for Brentford if Leeds had gone level with them on points, if Everton and Newcastle had jumped them in the table. Because all of a sudden you'd be looking at it and thinking, okay, now they're in real trouble. Now it's just them and the bottom three. Because head-to-head, you'd you'd factor Leeds to take more points between now and the end of the season than Brentford. And then Brentford are left, left worrying that, you know, Watford or Burnley might catch them. Now, they still have a bit of a cushion there, but all those teams around them also have games in hand. Leeds have two, Everton have three, Watford and Newcastle have two, Burnley have four. And that's the other concern for Brentford is that these teams have got games in hand. So defeats for all those teams below them, Leeds, Everton, Newcastle, Watford and Burnley and Norwich, they're all basically as good as wins for Bur- for Brentford. They keep them where they are. And where they are is 14th. And if you offered them 14th now, they would take both hands off you and give you everything they had because they'd be thrilled with that. They need to start getting their own points. But for now, the ineptitude of those around them helps them. So they're my third big winner. Now, in terms of my losers from the weekend, West Ham United. The draw against Newcastle, first and foremost, a bad result at home to a team who's fourth from bottom. But Manchester United won, Wolves won, Arsenal won. And Tottenham won. So United have pulled a four-point gap on them. Wolves, Tottenham and Arsenal have all closed the gap to them. Arsenal level on points with them now. Only one goal separating them in the goals column. And Arsenal have three games in hand. Wolves are two points behind. They have two games in hand. Spurs are three points behind. They have three games in hand. United, four-point gap. Same amount of games played. So West Ham had an opportunity this weekend to keep themselves in this race for top four. They're still in it, don't get me wrong, but they're allowing the closing field to get right up against them and they're letting somebody pull ahead of them. So you're losing both sides that way. So West Ham have to go down as one of the losers of the weekend. Next up, it has to be Everton. Because you start to look at their fixtures. And as I've said, they've got the most talent of that bottom seven. But they've got the worst manager. And when you look at their fixture list, it's really, really tough. Manchester City, Tottenham and Wolves, the next three games. That's very, very difficult. It's very hard to see any points there. Then it's Newcastle. Then it's Watford. Newcastle are currently in form. Watford have beaten them this season. And Watford are desperate for every single point. And in Hodgson, they have a guy who will have absolutely no shame in going out and clawing at every single point and getting it one point at a time. Then it's West Ham. Then it's Manchester United. So out of the next seven, you've got two games where you'd fancy them to get something. But I'm not sure I fancy them to win either game, considering the form of Newcastle, the fact that Watford is an away game, and Hodgson is fairly good at what he does in terms of getting enough points to stay in the division. Then it's Crystal Palace at home. Then it's Liverpool away, Chelsea at home, Leicester away. 
that Palace game is a game that they could get something, but Palace have been a better team than them this year. Vieira looks a better manager than them. They've also got strengths where Everton are weak. Everton don't cope well with runners off the back of them in midfield. Think back to the Merseyside derby. Unquestionably Jordan Henderson's best performance in what has been a dreadful season for Liverpool's captain. What did he do? He ran off the back of that Everton midfield time and time again, joining the forward line, finding space between the lines. Conor Gallagher will have himself a good old time doing that. And in Coyote and Hughes, they can match up with the power and control that Everton have. Elan and Decoure, you'd expect back by then. Then it's, like I said, Liverpool, Chelsea, Leicester. Then Brentford at home. That's a winnable game without question. It's a game they should win. You'd look at it and say Everton home, or sorry, uh, Newcastle home, Watford away, Brentford home. Win those three and pick up a couple of points here and there. You know, a point at home to Palace. A point at home to Wolves is a possibility, given Wolves' problems in front of goal. And that'll be enough. That should keep you in the division, but they just don't look like a team that's going to win these games. I know they beat Leeds, but Leeds are awful. Leeds are a genuinely awful team right now. They can't defend. They're missing half their team. And the players they're bringing in to replace those who are missing are either children or championship players. Because Leeds don't even have a full 11 of Premier League calibre players. They also beat uh, Brentford in the Cup. And the same thing applies to Brentford. Brentford don't have an 11, a best 11 full of Premier League calibre players. I mean, Rea has shown he's Premier League calibre, Ayer's Premier League calibre. I'm not sure on Pontus Janssen and Ethan Pinnock is not. Sergi Canos is not. Onyeka, Norgard and Janolt, absolutely. Rico Henry, absolutely. Ivan Tony and Mbomo, absolutely. Wissa, when he comes into the team, yes. But after that, who in that squad are you comfortable with as a Premier League calibre footballer? So, yes, Everton have beaten those teams. They absolutely should be beating those teams. But they beat Brentford in a cup match. In a league match, it's going to be a different story. Especially in the second last game of the season, if Brentford need a result, they could very easily come and park the bus. You've also got a couple of other issues. Everton right now, no decoure, so no drive from midfield at all, which means everything is very one-paced and very slow. Alan, Gomes, Donny van de Beek, none of them are picking the ball up and carrying it 20, 30 yards. Alan used to be able to do it, can't anymore. Gomes and Donny aren't that type of player. Gomes will pass it that way. Donny will get it that way with a couple of one-twos in his movement off the ball. But that's easier to stop than that direct powerhouse of De Curry, who'll just pick the ball up and decide, right, I'm getting the ball there. Now you try and stop me. So they're missing that. They're missing Mina, who's their best centre-back, and they're missing... Godfrey, who I think is their second best centre-back, hasn't had a good season this year, admittedly, but he is he's better than Michael Keane, let's put it that way. They struggle defensively in the air without Mina, and you look at those winnable games that I pointed out, well, Everton have Chris Wood, who's great in the air, uh, Brentford have Ivan Tony, who's great in the air. So those those become far more tricky. Everton's defeat this weekend, I think, will prove very, very costly. Now, look, it was against a good Southampton team who are in decent form. But still, when you've got the three games coming up that you've got, it has a massive knock-on effect. When your next three games are title contender, top four contender, top four contender, and you've got a sandwich and FA Cup game in there as well, with your already shrunken squad, you're in trouble. 
you're in trouble. And I think they'll go into that Newcastle game multiple points below Newcastle and multiple places below Newcastle in the league. And I think they may go into that Watford game very, very close on points. A situation where if Watford were to win, Watford may well go above them. Because I think Watford can pick up some points. Now, it's a difficult run they have as well. They've got a five-game stretch coming up that's got no easy games. But I think under Hodgson, I, I can see a point against Palace. I could see a point against Arsenal. Maybe a point against Southampton or Wolves with Hodgson just parking the bus and setting it up. But that makes that Everton game huge for both teams. Then you've also got the Burnley factor of them having the games in hand. So Everton are my second loser. And then Norwich are my third because Norwich had done really well to get themselves off the foot of the table. They even got out of the bottom three for a couple of weeks. And then this weekend passed. Burnley win only their second game all season. Watford get a surprise win away to Aston Villa that I don't think many people had them penciled in for. Newcastle get a point away to West Ham that, again, I don't think anyone had them penciled in for. And all of a sudden now you're looking at a five-point gap from Norwich in 20th to Newcastle in 17th. A vastly inferior goal difference. And that's one of the big things for Norwich. They might get level with uh, Newcastle or an Everton, but their goal difference is minus 38. The next worst, worst in the division is Leeds with minus 21. Then you've got Newcastle and Watford minus 19. Then Brentford minus 15. Everton minus 12. And then Burnley minus 9. But Burnley have scored five goals more than them and conceded 24 goals less than them. So even with only two victories this season, that's what keeps Burnley above Norwich in the table. So Norwich, I think, have to be the third loser of the weekend because the results of the teams around them just really didn't go in their favour. Same thing with Everton. Everton's fortune, of course, is that Brentford and Leeds didn't pick up points and cut them adrift. But Newcastle closing ground, Watford closing ground, Burnley closing ground, that hurts. And it hurts the same way for Norwich. Because those five, I think it's three from that five. I, I don't think Leeds or Brentford will go down. They could, but I don't think they will. I think it is three from Norwich, Burnley, Watford, Newcastle, and Everton. I mean, honestly, if I was picking it now, I'd be inc inclined to go Norwich, Watford, and Everton going down. Now, maybe I'm putting too much faith in Sean Dyche. Maybe that is the case. But I, ju I just don't see where the points come from for Everton. Everton don't have it in them to go and grind out nil-nils. They don't have it in them to go and park the bus. They're not good enough defensively. And their manager is not good enough defensively to do it. Dyche is good enough to do it. Hodgson is good enough to do it. That gives those two teams a fighting chance. Newcastle, and I know I was down on them after the January window and suggest they could go or they may, may go but if you think back to the start of the season I did think they'd be okay because the talent there to begin with was better than what we were seeing under Steve Bruce and there are good players there I mean they've got a good goalkeeper in Dubravka Shar is a good centre back you know, Willock, Jolington, Almiron, um, Callum Wilson, Alan St. Maxim. These are good players. These are players that could play for a multitude of Premier League clubs. So they've got the attacking talent and they've got a better manager than Everton as well. They've also got momentum and form. You just It's hard to look at Everton and think what they have right now. Unless Calvert-Lewin catches 
catches fire, which is possible. But are they really supplying him in the best way possible? I mean, they took away Dina, who's the best cross for the ball that they've had. And that took away one big source of goals for him because you look at the other wide options. Townsend, decent cross or not great. Tends to go for power rather than accuracy. Damari Gray is an inconsistent crosser of the ball. Seamus Coleman is a good low crosser, but never been a great high crosser of the ball. And Michaelenko is a good player, without question. I think he's going to be a very good player. But he's also naturally more of a left-sided centre-back in a three. Like, he'd be a nice fit at Spurs, for example. More than he is a, a kind of a left wing back. And if Lampard is going to play a back three, which he has done a couple of times already, Michaelenko makes more sense in the back three rather than as a wing back. Obviously, the issue is they don't really have another option there. Niels and Kunku's out on loan. They let Thierry Small leave for buttons in the summer to Southampton and they sold Dina. So, yeah, that's why Everton and Norwich are in there because. The other three teams, I think, are better suited to staying up than than either of them. I think they've got more about them. I think they've got something you can look at and say, that's a strength of theirs. Whereas with Everton, aside from a couple of individual players, I'm not sure you can. And with Norwich, the same thing. So that is my winners and losers of this week's Premier League action. Uh, Liverpool, Tottenham. And Brentford as winners. West Ham, Everton and Norwich as losers. Um, might be something I'll do weekly going forward. Uh, just thought it was something new, something different. So we'll take a quick break. When we come back, we will have a quick look at tonight's Premier League, uh, Champions League action. Rather, See you in a minute. Right, welcome back. So, just a quick thing I wanted to look at before we get on to the Champions League. 5.38 do regular updated projections on the Premier League and where they think every team will finish. So, right now they're predicting Manchester City to win the league. They're giving them a 77% likelihood of winning the league. Liverpool a 22% likelihood and then the remaining 1% is split between the rest. But Manchester City, they have as the favourites to win the league. And I think that's right. I do think that's right. They have the advantage. Even if Liverpool win tomorrow night, they still have three points. That game at the Etihad is still at home. So City should be favourites to at least take a point from it. And a point would be enough for them on that day. Uh, Liverpool second, 22%. 99% or greater than 99% chance of making top four which is the same for City Chelsea they've given a 97% chance of finishing in the top four and less than 1% of winning the league this is interesting though so they're predicting Arsenal to finish in fourth place and they're giving them a 48% chance of making the Champions League now, I don't agree with that because I don't trust Arsenal. But they're predicting Arsenal to finish fourth. Now, obviously, these things change week to week, and we'll probably keep track of this moving forward to see how it goes. But they've got Manchester United and Tottenham there, fifth and sixth, both with a 23% chance of top four. Wolves, then, on... 5% chance of finishing in the top four. They've got them finishing in seventh position. Now, Wolves have obviously played a game more than Arsenal, but they are only two points behind them. And they have them finishing seven points behind them when the league shakes out. And again, I, I don't know that I agree with that. They've got West Ham then finishing in eighth with only a 4% chance of top four. To round out the rest of the league, they've got Brighton ninth. They have 
Southampton 10th, Leicester 11th, Aston Villa 12th, Palace 13th, Brentford 14th, 14% chance of going down. 5% for Palace, and they're saying still about a 2% chance that Aston Villa collapse and go down. But 14% for, for Brentford. Then it gets interesting. Then they've got Leeds with a 23% chance of going down. Everton with a 24% chance of going down. And this is where I find it a bit confusing. They've got Burnley to stay up with a 34% chance of relegation. They've got Newcastle to go down 36% chance. I don't know how you can look at the table right now where Everton and Newcastle have played the same amount of games. No, sorry. Everton have played one game less, but where they've got the same points, where I think Newcastle have an easier end to the season and yet they're giving Newcastle 12% more probability to go down. Then they've got Watford with a 71% chance of going and Norwich 89% likelihood of going. I don't disagree with the bottom two. I'm just not sure I can get on board with the idea that Everton are 12% less likely to go down than Newcastle. When we look at Everton's fixtures, and in particular... How those fixtures are scheduled, like Everton's easiest run is Newcastle and Watford back to back. Other than that, the only standout winnable game is Brentford, which is sandwiched in between what I believe are two likely defeats. Like, does anybody really think that come day, the last day of the season, Everton will go to the Emirates and beat Arsenal? Now, they could go and beat Leicester because Leicester are in such a weird situation, but that game is three months away. Well, the better part, three months away. Leicester will likely have gotten more or less everybody back by then. And if Leicester have their best team out, they'll wipe the floor with Everton. Prior to that, it's Chelsea. It's Liverpool. Like, Brentford is the only winnable game in that last five for Everton, in my view. So I'm just not sure I can get on board with that. I agree with the top three. I don't agree with the fourth, fifth, and sixth rankings. I think Tottenham will finish fourth, United fifth, Arsenal sixth or seventh, Wolves and West Ham then either six. Wolves either six or seven. I think West Ham will end up eighth. I just think the way their season is start season is starting to tail, they may end up in eighth. But they still have the Europa League, and they will go far in that competition if they go with their full-strength 11 in every game. Whether they can win it or not, I have doubts. But I think they can go far in it. And maybe that's where their focus will be. But an eighth-place finish and not winning the Europa League means no European football next season. And with West Ham, when you start to look at that squad, it needs quite a bit in the summer. Like, as things stand, they need... You'd say a new left-back, at least one at centre-back. I don't know that they'll keep Ariola. I, I just I don't understand Moyes' management of him this season. He is a better keeper than Fabianski. And I don't understand why he hasn't been given a run in the team. Um, so they may need to bring in another keeper. Alex Kral has barely played. He is a quality midfielder. And he's barely played this season. So if he's not kept and Noble's retiring, you need two in midfield. They probably need... If Yarmolenko leaves, they'll need one more in the line behind the strikers. But, you know, you've got Bowen, you've got Benrama, you've got Fernals. You'll still have Vlasic and you'll have the Argentinian whose name is escaping me. Um... And you need a backup striker or potentially a starting striker as well. That's, it's a lot to do in one summer. It really is a lot to do in one... Lanzini is his name. Lanzini is his name. Um, it's a lot to do in one summer. And it's also very weird how little Moise has played the boys that were brought in last summer, Barzuma. 
Like Kral barely played, Ariola barely played, Vlasic hasn't played nearly enough. You can say, well, the team has been winning, but it, it hasn't been recently. Surely they're worthy of, you know, some opportunities. Because Vlasic has done pretty well when he has played. Ariola, when I've watched him play, has been good for them. Crowell just hasn't had an opportunity. And the fact that Mark Noble's getting picked to get above him is is ridiculous because West Ham became good the season before last when Mark Noble got left out of the team. Simple as that. Right, moving on then to tonight's Champions League games. There are four of them, all kicking off... Sorry, this week's Champions League games. There are two of them tonight. Two of them tonight, not four of them. Two of them tonight. We have Chelsea versus Lille, and we have Villarreal versus Juventus. Uh, those are tonight's games. So let's have a quick look at how these teams have been going. So obviously we know with Chelsea, currently third in the Premier League. They're going well in the FA Cup through to the fifth round. They're in the League Cup final against Liverpool on Sunday. So that's going to be a big focus for them as well. You'll wonder tonight whether they might rest some players given that Lille aren't having a tremendous season currently sitting in 11th spot in the league and not really pulling up any trees in defense of their title like I say they won the league last season but then the creditors started to move in Mike Mannion moved on Bubakari Samari moved on just there in January they lost Jonathan Ikone to Fiorentina they lost Mandava to Atletico Madrid. They have focused, obviously, on bringing in high-level young players. So Amadou Anana was brought in in the summer. He is a good player. And then Gabriel Gubmundson was brought in, the left-back. But these are younger players who lack maybe the experience that you would want in trying to defend your, your title, or at least making the push at the the top four there is quality in the squad now I don't have a list of players in front of me who are injured and suspended so forgive me if some of these don't play tonight but players that are worth keeping an eye on Zeki Selic the right back I like him Thiago Jallo young Portuguese centre-back he's very very talented he came through the sporting academy AC Milan stole him and then Milan sent him to Lille in the swap deal for Rafael Leao um he is very, very talented and definitely one to keep an eye on. Only 21 years of age, but he might be the brightest young centre-back prospect that Portugal have right now. Sven Botman is outstanding. Dutch centre-back, obviously was linked with Newcastle in January. Just turned 22. Huge, huge unit of a player. Great left foot, fantastic passer of the ball. He is definitely one to keep an eye on. I think he probably ends up uh, at AC Milan in the summer, but definitely one to keep an eye on. Jonathan Bamba is an exciting wide forward. Really quick. He's 25, so he's a bit older than the rest, but definitely one who's exciting with the ball. Not a lot of end product at times, but very, very exciting. Jonathan David is the star, the center forward. Tremendous prospect. 22 years of age, Canadian international. Just huge upside. Can play wide, can play through the middle. Great movement. If I'm Arsenal, I'm all over trying to get him. I think he's as close to perfect as they'll find him or Kareem Adeyemi. Adeyemi may end up staying, or may end up going to the Bundesliga with Borussia Dortmund, but Arsenal should try anyway. But failing that, Jonathan David. Ronaldo Sanchez, everybody knows about. Powerful runner from midfield. He just can never stay fit. Hatim Benarfa. One of the all-time wastes of talent uh, is is at Lille now, signed, I believe, in January. Um, Six-month contract till the end of the season. When Newcastle signed him, he was one of the best young stars in Europe. 24 years of age at the time. 23, I think, when they got him on loan. Had the leg break signed permanently. We saw what he could do when he was in the mood, but he just wasn't in the mood often enough. Since then, he's you know he's been on loan at Hull. That didn't go well. He was at Nice for a season. That went brilliantly. And then he went to PSG for some reason. That was a disaster. Went to Rennes. Wasn't great. Went to Valladolid. Wasn't great. Went to Bordeaux. It went okay. But they showed no real interest 
in keeping him because um, I think his his behaviour is just always a little bit a little bit notable. Um, so you know he's been his own worst enemy through his career. Uh, Angel Gomes worth keeping an eye out for. Don't know if he'll play, but worth keeping an eye out for. Former Manchester United academy player uh, Timothy Weah, son of George. Very very disappointing how his career has gone. Um, coming through the PSG Academy, he looked like he might be a big, big star. Now, he has just turned, actually, he's 22 today, so he may still have time to kick on, but in his three seasons or so at Lille, he's managed five goals in 64 games, so it, it definitely hasn't gone as he would have hoped. I enjoyed him on loan at Celtic, and I wouldn't be against Celtic trying to bring him back. Uh, Jeremy Peed is one, a right back. He's he's solid, not spectacular. Onana, who I mentioned earlier, keep an eye on him. And Braderich, who's another left back there, uh, Croatian. W- worth a watch if he's playing. But it's not a bad team. There's talent there. Jose Font is still knocking about, still the captain. Uh, still can't run, but you know he does his job. Chelsea should win this one fairly comfortably. There's no... There's no real excuse. They're at home. They're the better team. Chelsea should win this one quite comfortably. Villarreal versus Juve is a more interesting game just in terms of the balance between the teams. Though I fear it will be quite a boring game because, well, it's Unai Emery. And Max Allegri is not exactly known for free-flowing attacking football either. Juve are fourth in Serie A. Villarreal sixth in La Liga. Now, even that sixth only has them three points off the top four. They're three points behind Barcelona, though Barca have a game in hand on them. But they've got a better goal difference than Barca. They're, as is typical of a Unai Emery team, they're difficult to beat. Um, they, lo- they love a draw. Unai Emery loves nothing more than a draw. They had a wobble. From October to December. That was around the time, you'll remember, that Emery looked like he might well take the Newcastle job. And they went on that bad run. But they have sorted themselves out. They went four wins in a row, draw defeat, and then three wins out of the last four. They beat Granada comfortably at the weekend. They got a nil-nil draw with Real Madrid prior to that. And they are the defending Europa League champions, so they've proven that they can do well in Europe. In truth, they should have beaten Manchester United at Old Trafford. Um, they were by far the better team. They did not play well in the home game against United. Um, but all things considered, this will be a tough tie for Juventus. Juve haven't pulled up any trees this season, though things have certainly turned around since December. Back-to-back draws, though, in the last two games, not great, but they are unbeaten since the 27th of November, so that at least is a plus. Having lost five of their first 14, they are unbeaten in 12 in the league. They're going well in the Coppa Italia, uh, recently beat Sassuolo. The draw with Torino was was disappointing. They went one up and Bellotti scored to to give a share of the spoils, but Juve will be confident. They certainly did well in the group stage. Um, You know, they beat Malmo away, Chelsea at home, Zenit away, Zenit home. Did get walloped at Stamford Bridge and then beat Malmo uh, at home in the final game to top that group with Chelsea and earn this fixture. Um, Look, everybody knows the players that are there. They've still got Benucci, they've still got Chiellini. De Ligt is there. He hasn't developed the way we would have hoped over the last two seasons. Alexandro still kicking about, though he is nowhere near the defender he once was. Danilo is bang average. Rugani never developed the way it was hoped he would. Pellegrini, they've done a terrible job at developing as well. Midfield-wise, Artur, Weston McKinney, Adrian Rabio, Locatelli. I mean, Locatelli is the best of the bunch, but in large part because Rabio has sort of plateaued in his career. McKinney was one of those kind of low ceiling type of players uh, and Artur just doesn't get enough run. Uh, they did bring in Dennis Zakaria in January, so interesting to see if he is involved. But up front is where it is really interesting because they do have Dusan Vlahovic and um, I believe this will be his Champions League debut 
So this is a big opportunity for him to shine. Um, and we'll wait and see how he does. I think the Dybala is injured, isn't he? And Chiesa is definitely injured. So could it be Vlahovic and maybe Moise Keane up front? Who knows? What team did they play? What did the team look like at the weekend is the best way to probably take a guess. So we had Chesney, Quadrado, Delict, Sandro at centre back. That won't be the case, I don't imagine. Pellegrini, Zaccaria, Locatelli, and Rabio. I like that midfield. Dybala played, don't know whether he was fit or not, whether he, he came off in the game. Uh, and Morata behind Vlahovic. What is the what is the, the love of Morata with certain managers? Painfully average. Um The game before was Danilo at right back, Benucci, Delict, Decilio, McKenny, Locatelli, and Rabio in midfield, Dybala, Vlavic, and Morata in a front three. I would guess the midfield will be Locatelli, Rabio plus one. Um, the attack will be Vlavic, Dybala plus one. The defence, it just depends who's fit, I suppose. But I think, I think a draw is the likely outcome in that game, if I'm being totally honest. I think I'm going to back the draw. And you'd obviously go Chelsea to win at home against Lille. Uh, so that is tonight's Champions League games. No Premier League games tonight. We've got three of them tomorrow night, um, but none tonight. Not sure why one of them couldn't have been slotted in for tonight surely Watford against Crystal Palace could have slotted in nicely tonight rather than tomorrow um that would have made more sense to me but it is what it is three on Wednesday one on Thursday and then we are back Friday so from tomorrow night there's a Premier League game every night or every day from tomorrow until Sunday which is nice no game on the Monday and a game on the Tuesday. So that is that. We will do the gossip and we're done. Real Madrid will rival Manchester United in pursuing Maurizio Pochettino. I somehow doubt it. I really don't think they will, especially if they sign Kylian Mbappe. Manchester City and Portugal midfielder Bernardo Silva is dreaming of a move to Real Madrid. We all do. We all do. Liverpool are seriously interested in signing... Jared Bowen, uh, I don't believe that they are. I don't believe that they've ever been. Um, but this is from some guy uh, on Give Me Sport, which, I mean, you might as well go and shout out the window and you'd get back as much sense. Um, who's this from? Meh. I have great doubts. I've got great doubts. I, I, I feel like the Bowen to Liverpool stuff all came from his agent, but we'll we'll wait and see. They're not going to pay the asking price from that's for absolute certain. Uh, Leicester manager Brendan Rodgers has the backing of the club's board. Despite a poor run of form, the old vote of confidence dreaded it remains to this day. Inter Milan are monitoring Gabriel Jesus as a potential recruit for their attack. Chelsea are interested in Max Kilman. Max Kilman's having himself a hell of a season and probably is deserving of a call-up to the England squad. Arsenal, Newcastle, Borussia Dortmund and Inter Milan are eyeing a move for Jonathan David. Uh, Liverpool have, sorry, Aston Villa have made Liverpool and England defender Joe Gomez their main target. I believe Spurs and Arsenal, uh, Spurs and Newcastle rather, also interested. Liverpool are out of the running to sign Kylian Mbappe. Liverpool were never in the running to sign Kylian Mbappe. Tottenham will wait to begin talks with Harry Kane over a new contract. Uh, Manchester United and Spain goalkeeper David De Gea says he's open to signing a new deal with the club. Of course he is. If you're paying him 350 grand a week to be an average goalkeeper, he's more than happy to take it. Uh, he's never developed his game beyond being a, a truly great shot stopper at his prime, a, a very good shot stopper now, no longer great. But, I mean, he's poor with his feet. He's poor on crosses. He hides in a six-yard box. And recent comments suggest he knows he shouldn't be doing that, but that is what he does anyway. Uh, English midfielder John Joe Shelby 
and Swiss defender Fabian Schaar are on the verge of signing new contracts at Newcastle. Makes sense. Roy Keane turned down the chance of manager of Sunderland because they only offered him a six-month contract, and he was right to do that. So uh, Roma will not make Ainsley Maitland-Niles' loan spell from Arsenal permanent because he is not impressed in Serie A. Um, he has only played, I believe, like six games. Might want to give him a little bit more time before writing him off. Wembley could host this season's Champions League final if UEFA decide to take it off St. Petersburg because of the Russia-Ukraine crisis. They should take it off St. Petersburg. It should never have been in St. Petersburg to begin with. I don't think it'll be Wembley because Wembley's scheduled to hold 2024. Istanbul, I think, is 2023. And who did I see yesterday is 2025. Uh, Let me see. 2025 Champions League final is in Munich. So I would guess not there either. Um, is the Bernabeu finished yet? If not, if or if it is, it, that would be probably the choice. Um, Tottenham's, Tottenham Stadium is probably an option. Um, you could go... There's a very fancy couple of stadiums in Poland... Their, new, their national stadium is special. There's one in Budapest that's stunning. There's one in Bucharest that's great. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of options. Wembley doesn't need to be the answer. And after how it, you know, failed at the Euros final, probably not the best place to put it. Newcastle, Leeds and Crystal Palace have hopes of signing Brennan Johnson. Oh, sorry. No, their hopes of signing him have faded with Nottingham Forest increasing their efforts to get him to sign a new deal. I think he's gone in the summer. I really do. Unless they come up, unless they come up, he's gone in the summer. And if Palace do sell Zaha, I'd love to see them get Johnson. Olise, Ezzy and Johnson behind Eduard. That's a front four I can get on board with. Colombia playmaker James Rodriguez says he's open to returning to Everton. Having left the club to join, join Qatari side Al Rayan because former Toffee's boss Rafa Benitez didn't want to count on him. They couldn't count on him, was the issue. And I've seen Everton fans today saying, oh, Of course you'd take him back. Why? Why would you take him back? He wasn't good for you. Yes, he had some moments. Yes, he had that decent start to the season, but. He was frequently injured. He went on holiday multiple times during the year. He didn't even stick around for your final game of the season. He cared that little. He went on holiday. So why would you want him back? He walked through games last season. Never bothered his backside to run. Spain striker Alvaro Morata, who was linked with both Arsenal and Barcelona, says he's happy at Juventus and would always stay there if it was up to him. I don't think Juventus want to keep him, but Allegri might. Allegri might want him. Uh, Neymar wants to experience playing in the MLS before he retires. You've been retired basically for the last six years, son, or however long it's been. Has it been five years? When did he go to... When did he sign for PSG? Five years. Five years. He's made 81 league appearances in five years. It's a shambles. You'd be absolutely livid if you're paying him all that money. And in the league, he's played 20, 17, 15, 18, and 11 games. In all competitions, 30, 28, 27, 31, 16 so far this season. If he gets to 25, I'd be, I'd be really surprised. Really surprised. And his output has gone down every year. 28, 23, 19, 17. Four. He's got four goals in in the French League this season. And people want to tell me he's still one of the ten best players on the planet. Get out of here. Get out of here. It, the guy is only guy only cares about money. Uh, Barcelona right back Sergio Roberto's contract is up at the end of June. But he's yet to be offered a new contract. I'm not sure he will be offered a new contract. I think he may be one that Barca will move on because 
He was a high earner. He will probably want to be a high earner again, and they can't really afford to have any high earners. And that is it, folks. That is me for today. Sorry I am so late today. Um, the aftermath of the storms kind of took my day off me. But, yeah, back to normal scheduled programming tomorrow. Uh, so we will see you then. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.